At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. This stumbling together is how we live out the truths of the gospel in community each day. As we look to the next generation, we are trusting God to use our Riverview Church family to be a great blessing to our community in Lansing and beyond. We are committed to loving like Jesus as we dream and pray about the future. With our renewed core values, we are looking to take some significant steps over the next two years from increasing our staff with young and diverse leaders, improving our kids and student spaces, planting more churches, and developing a new missional fund for RIV communities to serve our neighborhoods, cities, and towns. These dreams happen as we join together as a church family. So we're asking you three questions. Would you join a RIV community? Where do you plan to be present missionally? And what do you plan on giving financially? Would you pray and consider being a part of this two-year commitment as we entrust our plans to God, pray for lives to be changed, and equip and empower the next generation? Good morning, Riff. How are you? So we are in the last week of this series we've been going through called Entrust, where we've been looking at how God has been faithful to us um, as a church over the last 45 years and how we're dreaming uh, God may continue to be faithful uh, to us, because we know he will, um, over the next couple of years and beyond. And so one of the things we did last week is we did what we do everywhere. We did this holiday drive where we uh, collected the fixings and everything for Thanksgiving meals for the Lansing Area AIDS Network. And you guys provided 120 meals for people in our community um, through Lansing Air and AIDS work who are struggling with HIV. So thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, you can clap for that. Um, and... And you guys donated over $2,400 in gift cards uh, to help those in need in our community as well. So I thought that was a great way to kind of kick off the holiday season with generosity. And so to all of you who are so generous during that season, I want to read a passage of scripture from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 9, where he said this. He said, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. And my favorite part of that passage is the tone. Uh, my, uh, my friend Dave this last week told me that we live in a culture where people are always shooting all over you. You should do this. You should do that. This is how you should live, right? And I love that because the Apostle Paul here, he does wor- use the word should, but he does it with a different tone. You see what he says? He said each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not, not reluctantly or out of compulsion. In other words, our heart, which is the decision-making engine of our lives, we should each make a decision how we're going to be generous, how we're going to live like that, and then it should just flow out of us. We should never feel like our arm is being twisted when it comes to giving. And Paul gives us a reason for that, and it's kind of a weird reason. The reason he gives is that God loves a cheerful giver, (laughs) You know, there are so many people in your life that want something out of you. You probably ran into a bunch of them at someone's house on Thanksgiving last week, right? There are a lot of people with expectations on our lives, things they want out of us. And what God wants out of you is that you're cheerful. 
that when you are being generous, when you are giving, when you're pouring your life out for another, that you're doing that in a cheerful way. He doesn't ever want you to be giving someone something, be it a Christmas present or an offering at a church, because you feel like you have to. Let your arm is being twisted. And, and I love this because Paul then reminds us that God is able to take care of us. What does he say? He says that God was able to overflow his grace on us. And grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And so the God that can pour out on you what you don't deserve will take care of you. He says basically he's gonna take care of your needs. So when, when you are giving, when you're being generous, you should never worry about whether God is gonna take care of what you need because he's gonna do it. He says you will be enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So I love the fact that what Paul does here is he describes financial giving and generosity as a ministry that we take part of. It's a ministry. And then he says, there's at least two results. The needs are met of the people who, who get that gift and they give thanksgiving to God. He says, because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have a deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so I've been thinking a lot about this this week, and this is my prayer. We live in a world that looks cynically at the church, right? They doubt our motives. They think our beliefs are at best crazy and at worst immoral, right? We've almost taken up a position in our culture where our world thinks our views are immoral. And this shows us a key to them doing what? To them having, to, uh, to them having a deep appreciation and affection for us, and it is generosity, when we are people in our culture who are generous, it gives an opportunity for people to see us differently with a deep affection that because God has changed us with his overflowing grace, we become gracious to other people. And so last week, one of the other things that we did is we asked you the three questions that we've been asking during this course of the series, and we've asked you to give us your responses to those. And, and the three questions were, will you join a RIV community? Where are you planning on being present and living missionally? And how will you give over the next couple of years to the ministry here at RIV uh, so we can kind of plan our operating budget out? And so I just want to give you an, an update, and this is a snapshot of where we are right now. We do know that last week was a very snowy week, and so some people did not get a chance to fill out their cards yet. Um, and so if you want to fill that out, you can do that at rivchurch.com slash entrust. But here's where we're at. When we asked the question, will you join a RIV community, we had 160 households uh, check yes, and we are still comparing that with our notes of our 378 that are already in some, but we know that there's some overlap, and so we're trying to figure that out. We know that we have a lot of people to plug into RIV communities, including someone I just met in the lobby just a few minutes ago. So we're still working on that, so please be patient as we figure out how to get all these RIV communities started. Um, the second thing we asked is, where are you going to be present missionally? And I want to read some of the responses. We got over 200 responses to this question from different households. And I want to read some of those to you because these are fantastic. Um, one person said that they are a home hospice volunteer. And when they're doing that work, they use it as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Someone else said that they, they serve at the Lansing City uh, Rescue Mission downtown. 
I want to read this quote to you from this next one. It says, because of the business we own, we've dedicated it to God. We have the opportunity to engage and encourage those who we come into contact with. Our world is full of struggling and lost people, and we will continue to stumble with them. <laughs> and I love the fact that they worked our word from our mission statement right in there, that they're going to stumble with people as they tell them about Jesus. As someone else said, we have a local pickleball group. So there you go, pickleballers for Jesus, um, that we play with and we pray for and we outreach to them for Christ. Thought that was cool. Someone said at the sheriff's department, not sure which side of the bars, but at the sheriff's department, uh, they said having conversations with leaders in our county. And someone else said coaching cheerleading, showing an example of a good marriage and a loving home uh, to the cheerleaders there. And I thought that was super cool. So we also asked you if you'd be willing to share with us what you plan on giving financially toward our operating budget over the course of the next two years and our mission here. And so what we did for full transparency is we took all of the commitments that we got last week and then we added to those um, people who have been regularly giving to Riverview but may not have had time to sh fill out a card yet, but we anticipate they're going to continue to give to come up with a total number so we know what we're dealing with over the next two years uh, based on historic giving patterns. And so our current, uh, our current understanding is that we are at $6.73 million over the next two years for our budget. Yeah, you can clap for that. There's a little snap, but you do that. Um, now, what you may remember is that our goal was $9 million. And when you hear that, you might kind of panic a little bit, but remember, $9 million was our aspirational goal. It was us coming up with all that we would dream that we may be able to do over the next couple of years, and so we know that there are still people kind of coming in, and this is the snapshot of this moment. I know some people have told me they're still working on how much they plan on giving. So what our team is going to do is over the next couple of weeks and, and months, we're going to get to work on what does this mean for our budget? What are we going to be able to do as a church? And so what I want to do today is at the time we have left, I want to go to a very familiar story in the Bible that, to me, applies to exactly where we are in this moment. So if you have your Bible, uh, you can flip, tap, or swipe your way over to Mark 6, and we're going to start in verse 30. And this is what it says. It says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, that means that there's some context here that's missing, right? Well, the context is Jesus had sent out his guys to go heal in towns, in these small towns, in these outer areas, and to tell people the, the gospel, the message that their Messiah that they had been waiting for had finally arrived in Jesus. And now they gathered back together, and they were excited to tell Jesus all about what they had done and what they had seen and what they had taught. And, and I felt like this last week, and I'm not Jesus in the story. My wife is. Um, I had a kind of a crazy day last week. Um, where I just last Sunday, I wasn't teaching, so I decided to go everywhere. And so what I did is I started at the nine o'clock service at Holt, and I was here when the service got started and talked to a lot of people in the lobby. And once the service got moving, I got in my car and I drove to the west side, and I was able to be there by the time their service started at 10 o'clock. And then I talked to all kinds of people in the lobby. And then as soon as the service started, I got in my car and I drove to Rio Town, and I got there at the end of their service, right? And so then I got to talk to people as they were leaving and took off, got here just in time to be at the end of the 11 o'clock service to talk to people in the lobby. Then I went home and had lunch, and then I went to a Rift community in Holt, and then I went home and had dinner, and then I went to a Rift community in East Lansing, and then I came home and my wife said, how'd it go? So you see, my wife is the Jesus in the story, and I came back to tell her all I'd, all I'd done. So, but what happened is I, I came home and I just told my wife, I just had such a great day. I had so many stories. 
I'm like, I, I met a guy, like for example, I met a guy who had been attending Riff online for, for quite some time, and then he decided to join a Riff community. So before he'd ever come in person to a service, he had been in person in a Riff community for a while, and then last week showed up at his first service. I also down at Rio Town met a couple that had been uh, attending online for a while, and first time ever they decided to walk in the doors as well. Third, I, I, I got into a, a discussion group. I got placed in a discussion group in a Riff community, and this is where we were sitting. It was me, and then next to me was an eight-year-old boy and his dad and a newish person at Riv, uh, someone who became a Christian at 55, uh, someone from a Muslim background, and a couple other people that came from uh, different communities, including a small town where someone was on a bus when they were five years old, driving around telling people about Jesus, and that's how they became Christian, the whole thing. And, and, and that was our whole little group discussion. And that just scratches the surface of all the people that I talked to last week, and I wonder if that's kind of what it was like here, right? The apostles are out, they're doing all their thing, they're talking to a million people, and then they want to tell Jesus about all the people that they have been talking to over the last week. And this was Jesus' response to them in verse 31. He said this. He said, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. That's going to become very important. Hold on to that detail. So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. And what I love about this is it starts with a reminder of Jesus's and the apostles' humanity. They had a really long ministry season, and then when they got together, it said there were so many people there when they got back together, and they're trying to talk about this, that they did not even have a chance to eat. There were so many people coming and going, coming and going, that they didn't even get a break. I don't know if you've ever had one of those days. We're just like the whole day is busy. You leave the house, and it's just bonkers the whole day long, and you just get home, and all you want to do is sit on the couch, not talk to anyone, veg, stream some shows, something like that, right? That's sort of the context here. Jesus and his disciples, they needed a break, and so Jesus comes up with a plan. It's a good plan. Let's get on the boat. Let's go to a remote place where nobody knows we are so we can get a break and so that we can eat. Okay, verse 33. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. So you get that story, right? So they're out on the boat and some people say, hey, there's Jesus and the guys. So they start running along the shoreline. So as they're running along the shoreline and Jesus is going on the boat, other people are coming out from other towns and villages and they're like, oh, where's everybody running? Have you seen that video online where the CrossFitters are running? It's a great video. It's online. I don't remember what city it was in. These CrossFitters are running down the sidewalk and people see them running and then they start to panic. So they start running with them. No, it's, they all just start running. I think this one, oh, so everybody starts running from all the towns and all the villages. They start chasing after them. And then it says, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he began to teach them many things. I, I love this image. They don't get their break, right? They get to the other side. The whole plan is to rest, to eat something, and all these people, all they cared about is that Jesus was there. They'd seen him. They'd heard his reputation. They wanted to hear him teach. And I don't know if you've had one of those days where you had the long day. You got to get home. You just want to sit on the couch. You just want to veg. And then you open the door, and there are your wonderful, beautiful, highly energetic children. And you know you're not getting your break. 
or you're somebody who you get home and maybe you just head to your apartment and the instant you walk in the door, all of a sudden one of your friends buzzes you on the phone, texts you, or at work texts you late at night and you realize, I'm not getting my break. That's this moment. <laughs> it's that moment of deflation of realizing I've got to keep going and I've got no energy left in me. And there's this giant crowd and they're clamoring for Jesus' reaction. And what does it say? It says Jesus was moved and had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And the little translation of Jesus being moved here is he's moved from his gut. In fact, quite literally, it says Jesus was moved from his bowels. That's what it says. And so what happened is, you can get the double meaning here, right? His guys, their stomach is growling. <laughs> they are moved for food. And Jesus, his gut is moved for compassion. Deep inside of him, his hunger was to take care of these people and their spiritual needs. It trumped his need for food. It trumped his need for rest. And, I, and I, we have no idea how the disciples responded. We don't know. Maybe they were compassionate like Jesus, right? And they just stepped right in. Maybe they're like me. I would have been completely angry at that moment because I'm one of those guys that gets hangry. Like I go from zero to hangry in about three seconds. I always tell my wife, I'm not really hungry today. She's like, you're going to be hangry in a minute. I'm like, no, not really. Three minutes later, hangry. That's just all it takes for me. And so I don't know if they were like me. I don't know if they were like Jesus. Verse 35, it says, when it grew late, and by the way, any, anytime you've ever probably heard this story or when your kid's church is low, all the pictures they have of it, it's during the day, everything's bright and sunshiny. This story happens at night. All right? It's getting late in the day. And they are where? They're in a very remote area where nobody is. They were trying to get away from people. There's nothing out there. So Jesus, out in the middle of nowhere, all these people at night, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. So send them away so that we can go into the surrounding countryside or so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. It's a very reasonable request they're making of Jesus. Listen, these people are hungry, but I wonder if what was behind them was their thoughts is, we're hungry, right? Like, send these people away so we can have something to eat. Jesus gives them a very illogical response. You give them something to eat. Why is that illogical? They don't have any food. That was the point, right? They're hungry. They've had no time to eat themselves, and he's like, no, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Now that means nothing to us because we don't know what denarii is. They weren't just saying, hey, should we just kind of run off and grab something at McDonald's and bring it back? They're saying, Jesus, it would take months worth of salary to feed these people. Like we don't have months worth of salary in our pocket. And so Jesus says, well, what do you have? How many loaves do you have, Jesus says? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, this really struck me this week because Jesus is asking them to do the impossible. And this feels like where we're at at a church right now. We understood that in a time of like financial pinches and attendance being down and giving being down, that we were going to ask for more, for more ministry to do in the community. And the disciples' response to Jesus is like, with what? Right? We'd have to work for months for this. We don't have this. We don't have nearly enough to take care of this giant need. 
And I think there's some people who would look at the commitments that we've had come in so far, 6.73 out of a goal of 9 million, and say, that's not nearly enough. And it may seem that way from a human perspective, but we have to look at this through the eyes of God's unwavering character. If God wanted to, he could have dropped precisely 9 million in our lap, right? He could have buried us with it. And we know that more commitments will come in, but we just have to see what God is going to do with what we have. I mean, think about all these hungry people for a second. I went back and I was researching old notes of mine um, from the last time or one of the last times I taught on this passage years and years and years ago. I'm going through all my notes and I found that when I got to this point of the story, I asked my children who are now all adults, but they were little kids at the time, like if Jesus had wanted to, how could he have fed them? I'm like, what do you guys say? How could Jesus have done it? And I don't know which ones of my kids said which things, but these were the responses they had. One said, he could have just had fish fall from the sky onto everybody's plate. Reasonable. One of my other kids said, uh, birds could have flown by, and just as they got overhead, they could have turned into sandwiches and dropped on everybody's plates. We have a lot of things falling from the sky. My favorite, and again, don't remember which one of my kids said this, said, They could have had, God, Jesus could have had worms come up out of the ground and just cover people and then just become noodles. And here's the deal. Jesus could have done all those things, but he didn't because Jesus always has a purpose in what he does. Look at this starting in verse 39. It says, then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And we're starting to get an idea of how many people were there. In groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and he took the fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. And he, he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. And everyone ate and was satisfied. And they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 Men, which means it was 5,000 men and their families. That's how big this crowd was. It was why it would have taken months of salary to feed them all. And, and, and then we've heard the story, if you've grown up in this church, this multiplication of fish and loaves, but sometimes we miss it because we are so familiar with it. Look what happens here. Jesus takes this, this fish and this loaves, and it says he blesses them. And that word in the original language in the Greek means he, he spoke well of them. He praised them. So Jesus takes this little gift, this little tiny loaves and fishes, and he brings it to God and he says, I am so thankful for this. This is just what we need. He spoke well of that thing. He spoke well of it to God. And then he began to parcel it out. And I don't know how you you picture this, but this says that Jesus just kept handing it out is how it worked. And so he must have said to his guys, listen, I want you to gather together. Come to me. I'm just going to hand you out. You're going to bring it to the people. And, and if I'm one of the disciples, I'm like, no, Jesus, actually, it's, it's just a couple loaves and some fish. I can just handle it on my own. But he asked them to move. And then he made this not enough meal, a more than enough meal, just a basic meal, fishes and bread. In fact, it wasn't what they wanted probably, but it's what they needed. And I think it's interesting that this miracle is the only one of Jesus' miracles that appears in all four gospel accounts. And I wonder if that's because it's still one of the most common miracles Jesus performs today. 
He takes the resources available to us and he multiplies them in ways that we don't understand. And he always makes sure we have exactly what we need. I think how we like it is that we come up with a plan, we get exactly what we want up front, and then we do the plan. But that's not faith, is it? As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, we need to move sometimes on a perhaps. Think about this. Jesus just starts handing out bread and fish. He's just saying bread and fish and bread and fish. The guys keep coming back to him. They're sitting in groups of 50 and and 100, and there's like 5,000 men and their families, and they just keep passing out food, passing out food, passing out food. The disciples moved on faith, on a perhaps, banking on the unwavering character of God, and as they moved, God just showed up. So as a church, that's what we're going to do. We're going to move on faith. We're going to take our mission and our core values seriously and just see what God does. See how he uses and multiplies what we have. In fact, I thought it might be a good time to just remind us of what our mission and core values are. This is our mission. At RIV, we invite everybody to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. Several times in the RIV communities I visited last week, this word stumble came up. And people were like, yeah, that's us. And I love that. Can we just embody that? Like, like, let's be people who don't hide behind facades, but we're people who just admit that we don't have our crap all together. Let's enjoy Jesus in the process. Let's invite people into that to know him. That's why one of our first core values, our first core value is that we are gospel-focused and motivated. Everything we do is motivated by the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus starts with the fact that we're screwed up and we need a Savior. And you know who gets that right? Taylor Swift. Here it is, right here. From her new song, right? It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. This is genius. This hits the nail on the head. And the response to this lyric in her new song has been absolutely fascinating. Yeah, on TikTok, at least in the algorithms that I have, I keep seeing two versions of people uh, using this lyric. The first is girlfriends training their boyfriends to say these words, <laughs> which is awesome, <laughs> right? The second is people saying, you know that thing? I'm the problem. And I wonder if our culture is moving to a place we're beginning to get the fact that we need a savior, that we don't have our crap together, led by the prophetess, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Seriously, if you don't know this song, it's called Antihero. Look it up and listen to it in the car on the way home and really listen to the lyrics. I think we're at a point where people are ready to hear the gospel. So let's be gospel focused. Let's be gospel motivated. Let's reach out and tell them about Jesus. We want to be biblically holistic and humble. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of people arrogantly digging their heels in and fighting over their differences. I long for patient, gentle, humble dialogue about important things. And I want to rank this book over anything I believe. We live in a world and every one of us, our proclivity is to rank ourselves over this book. But let's rank ourselves underneath it. Being biblically humble and holistic. We want to be in and in the community. In both of the Rift communities I visited this week, they spent time trying to figure out how between now and, and Christmas, they want to live on mission as a community. And I was like, oh my gosh, they get it. 
the whole point of being in community is not just about us, but to turn it inside out. That we're not just in community, but our communities turn themselves inside out, trying to figure out how we're going to reach other people. And the other thing I saw in the Rift community, which is so amazing, is being multi and next generational. That we want to be a church that brings generations together as a family. And even being in Rift communities where there were multiple generations all sitting at the table together, learning from one another. We want to be united in and honoring diversity. And don't miss those two phrases. United in is remembering that we are all about Jesus, that Jesus unifies us, but that we also honor diversity. Because let's just, let's just be really super honest. It would be pretty boring if everyone in the church was just like you, right? So let's honor and celebrate that diversity. And we want relational and missional discipleship. And what we mean by that is discipleship is following Jesus, just learning how to follow Jesus. And, and discipleship is not discipleship. It's not both of those things. Relational means you can't just learn everything you need to know about Jesus from podcasts. You need to be in relationship with people. And relationship with Jesus turns you inside out so that you're missional. Discipleship teaches you how to live on mission. So those are our core values. That's our mission statement. That's what we're all about. So hold that intention as we go back to Jesus and the disciples and the hungry people. This is what it says. After feeding everybody, it says immediately. So like this is Jesus' first thoughts. Okay, everybody's fed? This is what he does immediately. He made his disciples get into the boat and to go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Now I have preached this passage, I don't know how many times. I, I've read this more times than I can count. And I saw something I'd never seen before. I love that about God's word. When it says he said goodbye to them, I always assumed that meant the disciples. That's not the disciples. Notice the order. Immediately, he made his disciples get in the boat. He's like, get out of here, guys. He puts them on the boat and sends them away. And then what does he do? He stays and dismisses the crowd. And after he'd said goodbye to the crowd, he went away to the mountain to pray. What does that mean? Don't miss this. Jesus knew the only way his guys were going to get a break was to get away from him for a second. <laughs> so he stayed. After he sent his disciples away to finally get their rest, he stayed. And he ministered to every single person who needed it. And when everyone was satisfied physically from the meal, spiritually from the attention he gave them, then... He went away, and in his humanity, he needed a break. He went and got his break. And this simple act is a reminder, I think, of a bigger theological truth. Jesus is your rest. We are entering the Christmas season, and if things have not gotten bonkers yet, they will, <laughs> right? People are going to should all over you. They're going to tell you what to do with this season. They're going to do that. They're going to put pressure on you, your family, your work, this culture. But don't forget, Jesus is your rest. He understands what it's like to be exhausted and to have everyone disrespect your boundaries and demand more of you than you can give. But he's not going to do that. He's done all the heavy lifting for you so you can rest in him. So I know it's hard during this season, but let's do that. Between now and Christmas, slow down a little bit. Take some time every day to reflect on who Jesus is 
and what he has done. And, one, and, and what we're going to do is next week, we're going to start a new series uh, going through the Advent story. And we're going to look at how Jesus is our hope, how we place our faith in Jesus, how Jesus brings us joy, and how he is our peace. And we're going to do that between now and, and Christmas Eve. And so during this season, we're going to do that as a church family. But we also have, like, like was mentioned earlier, we have these books. And, and let me just tell you a little story behind this book. This was an amazing idea put together by some of our Riff Kids staff. And so um, Alex McGraw, Colleen Davenport, and Zoe Jones wrote this thing. And it was for kids and for families. And so the idea was, can we give families a resource where every day from December, 30, uh, December 1st to December 25th, they could sit down as a family and kind of work their way all the way from the Bible, from Genesis to Jesus, and just look forward to Jesus and what he, he did um, in his advent. And so it's a super cool idea. So they gave me a copy just so I could look at it. This thing is amazing. And I'm like, this is not just for kids. This is like for adults. I'm going to do my own personal devotional time on this book. You may not have my copy. I'll tell you why in a second. Um, but, um, but we're going to work our way through this thing. Um, I'm going to work through it, and I want to encourage you maybe to do that. The problem is we ordered a bunch of extra copies because of all of this, and they didn't come in in time. And so we don't have this for you to start on December 1st. But next week, we will have copies of this for every family. So every family, every household, you can grab one. Please don't grab multiple copies like, like stocking stuffers because you're going to give it to them on December 25th. It's too late anyway, right? So next weekend, um, we're going to have these available to you. If you have kids in our Rift Kids program, you should already have a copy because we sent them home with kids uh, last week. So you should already have a copy um, there. But we're going to try to provide these. And so I just want to encourage you during this season. Do this. Remember that Jesus is your rest. Use the time between now and Christmas to focus on Jesus, that we have a Savior that takes what we have, be it fishes and loaves, or a little bit of time, or a little bit of money, and he multiplies it in ways that we don't expect and we don't deserve. And that's a beautiful picture of the gospel for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you um, for this simple story that we've probably heard a whole lot if we've grown up around the church. And, but we thank you for the picture of Jesus' provision. That sometimes we, oftentimes we think, I just don't have enough. We don't have enough. Um, but, but you know what you're doing. You're not up in glory, biting your fingernails, worried about how this whole thing is going to work out. And so we just thank you. We thank you that Jesus saves, that he is our rest, um, that all the heavy lifting has been done. And we just pray that we would enter this Christmas season um, leaning into and trusting you. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.